0: and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM.
1: G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolliman. Welcome to our program from our studios here in northwest Sydney. Hunty? G'day, mate. He's our precious... Pr- I was going to say preacher. <laughs> preacher. Producer, director. I got a promotion. You can't make mistakes on live radio, can you? You can. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I just one, I just did one then. Funny thing is when we're doing television, we make a mistake, especially when it's pre-recorded because this is live. Yes. When it's pre-recorded, we can stop it and we can start it again. That's right. Can't do that on radio, but we're glad you're here, Hunty. I'm we glad are. you're so here. so glad you joined us. Very glad. And we're glad our listeners are with us. I think Hunty just gave them a, a pre-welcome mm. then. hmm we are glad you guys are here. And we've got a good program today. We're going to yeah, talk to a friend of mine. I usually get friends on this program, hunty. Yes. His name is Irwin Stane. He actually goes to our church. He's one of Australia's, well, in Adventism, is he? He's one of our top educators, principal of one of our schools here in Sydney. And if you've got parents, you're going to want to listen to him.
2: Kids. We've got kids.
1: What did I say? Parents. Yeah, that's right. If you... So I've seen your question. I've seen your questions. That's if, some tough questions. If, 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 if you are parents, let me say that again. Okay. Oh, this program started well today, hasn't it? It did. <laughs> there is a reason why I am a little bit hazy. I'll share that with you we, later. We will talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, but if if you are parents, you want to listen to Irwin Stein. He, he's got some very interesting and challenging things to say. And we've got Harold Harker back. We do. I love that he joins us. Pretty much every week, Hunty. That's right. He's got the most amazing stories. But as good as it is to have them there, it's even better to
0: have you here. Welcome. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey,
2: Hunty. Yeah, mate. Do you play basketball? Very terribly. So I'm not good at basketball at all.
1: Actually, it's a wonder because if you saw him, he's about six foot eight. And I have gorilla arms. How how, how, how Six tall, three. Six three. But my arms are twice as long as my body. <laughs> so you'd actually be a good basketball player. Hopeless. Okay, so you don't play basketball. It's embarrassingly bad. Okay, let me ask, <laughs> ask another question then. Do you watch basketball? No, nah, not really. So you haven't picked up the news in the last few days about Liz Cambridge? Do you know who she is? No, I don't. What happened? Liz Cambridge is... Well to start off with she's let me get this right, she's one point no, two point three meters tall. Ooh. Do you know how tall that is in old I don't, but that's very tall. Six foot eight. Wow. So she's six foot eight. She weighs almost a hundred kilo, ninety seven kilo. She's probably arguably one of Australia's, if not Australia's greatest female basketball player ever. Awesome. She plays in the American League. She also plays here in Australia a fair bit. She is in our Olympic team. She is one of the reasons we have a really hot women's basketball team. They are good. They are really good. In fact, they are a threat. Hunty, to the United States of America and could well take out gold at the Tokyo Olympics in a few weeks if they go on. Well... Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. She's got a Nigerian father and an Aussie mum. I guess her mum's with a British ext- extract. Her dad's Nigerian. So she's she's actually a beautiful woman, beautiful brown skin, nice to look at. She claimed on her social media Twitter account the other day that Australia is racist. And she said that was... Uh, portrayed by the Australian Olympic Committee that put some pictures out of the Aussie team and pretty much all of them were white. I saw that photo. Yeah, she, she actually really, really went off. She was hostile. She was gen, you can see it. She was genuinely cranky. So here's my question to you, Hunty, as we get into our program today. Do you think, and I want you to answer from your heart, Australia is racist? Well, before I answer that, I, I looked at the photograph.
2: And there's at least a couple of Indigenous people in the photograph, and certainly some people with either too much, um, what's that tan they put on, or they're mixed. So I wonder what the percentage of Indigenous people going to Tokyo actually is, and it's well, the photo representative of the percentages. We, we
1: have a pretty proud history with Indigenous athletes. We do. Amazing results. In fact, results. Um, 51... Yep. Indigenous athletes and who can ever forget Kathy, Kathy Freeman, Freeman in yep. 2000, yep. I think it was, but you know what? winning the 400 metres. I mean, that made the, that made the entire uh, country proud and oh, I think yes. we were all happy for her to get both the Aussie and the, the Indigenous flag and run around the arena to, to rapturous applause. Forgetting the picture for yeah. a moment because I don't want to talk about the picture. No, let me answer your question. I, I, want, I want to know what you think. Do you think Australia is actually racist? Sadly, there is a percentage of Australians that are racist. Do you think it's Manny?
2: Well, it's enough to 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 sadden me and a lot of my friends whose skin is darker than my piece of paper
1: white sheet skin. Actually, it wouldn't take much to have darker skin than you. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, for those of listening, he's about as white as I get. A bit of dostial, a piece of white paper is darker <laughs> than me. You're a beautiful man, though, hunty. Um I think there is an element of racism in Australia. There is. Um, it, it, uh, we're, we're not, by any stretch, you'd never characterise us as left-wing um, agitators. That's not our, no. our, our style. Um, I um, have a wife who's from Jakarta, Indonesia. She's beautiful to look yeah. at, brown skin, brown eyes, black hair, really beautiful. Yep. But she shared with me a couple of times. It seems to happen when she goes shopping, Hunty, in shopping centers. That's terrible. I just remember last year in the middle of the COVID, um, epidemic, pandemic, she had a, she had an experience in a shopping center, just grocery shopping when she came to the, to the, to pay for it. And the lady who was serving her was very, very rude. And the thing that surprised me because I guess it would be fair to say, Hunty, we don't experience racism, do we? No, I've never experienced
2: it. Actually, I did. Well, was in Australia.
1: <laughs> in New Zealand, I did. They were racist against Australians. Yes. It wasn't a skin thing. They were just racist <laughs> against <honestly>. us. <laughs> oh, we love our Kiwi brothers. I'm we only do. joking. <laughs> but you know what surprised me was when Liska, my wife, was sharing with me, and when she shares with me these, and, and to be fair, they're isolated incidences. They don't, they don't have incidents. They don't happen all the time. But when she shared yep. it with me, you can see the pain in her eyes and I don't think that we can really understand racism this is a sense I get unless we've had it perpetrated against us I agree with that and I think to be fair most of us who have like you and me Hunty a European background of some sort or another we don't experience this and so it can be more difficult for us to sympathise with people who do and sometimes when we listen to people like Liz Cambridge go right off, our natural reaction because we have an experience and so we don't think it happens can be hostile to her but I think we need to stop and we need to listen and I think we need to believe that it does happen. I I was trying to
2: explain it to a friend of mine the other day. I said, imagine you're the smartest candidate, the most prepared and the most qualified and you don't get the job. And later you find out it's because of your skin color imagine that's pouring with rain and you're out trying to get a taxi and it drives right past you and picks up someone with lighter skin color how many times does that have to happen to you until you become really sensitive about it and and for me it's a disgrace that it
1: happens well, there's no room in Christianity if you call yourself a Christian you can't have a shred of racism inside of you because the fact is Christians believe that God, created everyone and the beautiful different skin tones for sure yeah the beautiful different skin tones that god created human beings with are an example of his creative genius and we should celebrate it we should celebrate it but we're going to see more of these things happen as we get toward the end of the world and you know what jesus said when you see these things happen look up because i'm almost here
0: You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: This song's another new one for me, Hunty. I never heard it before. I like new songs. All glory to All glory to Christ by King's
3: Kaleidoscope. I hope you enjoy it. Should nothing of our efforts and no legacy survive Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive To you who boast tomorrow's gain Tell me what is your life A mist that vanishes at dawn All glory be to Christ All glory be to Christ Our King, all glory be to Christ to Christ
1: I want to welcome Erwin Stein to our program today, welcome Thank you, thank you for having me You have a great job, you're the principal of Mountain View
4: Adventist College Tell us a little bit about your school It's a great community um, It's a college of 610 students uh, If I include my center about 655 um about 52 nationalities um, wow yeah so it's very multicultural um and i think you 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 get the best out of out of all those cultures you know coming together um and so we we focus a lot on community um but mostly we focus a lot on jesus because as an independent school a christian independent school um that is our focus this is the why we're here and why we exist
1: what does that mean when you say you focus on Jesus? I'm interested in that because I like to focus on Jesus myself.
4: Look, I, I think um, when you consider why we exist as a school, um, it's always been to uplift Jesus. And I think sometimes we let we let the curriculum get in the way of that. And I'm not saying we don't do that well either, um, but that's our first and foremost focus is, is to um, show students a different way. Um, and that way is Jesus. Now, It's called um, Mountain View Adventist College. That's correct. Are people allowed to send their students here if they're not Adventist? Um, I always say this on my interviews. Um, You do not have to be a Christian to come to our school, and you do not have to be a Christian when you leave our school. Um, But yes, you're welcome here. If you support our values, uh, support our ethos of the school, um, and what we're trying to achieve here, then you're more than welcome. Okay, okay. Okay. You've got a bit of an accent. (laughs) That is correct. So I'm not pulling off the Aussie one am I? (laughs) So you're not an Aussie. I'm 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 not born in Australia, mate. Um (laughs) no no. I I am born and raised in South Africa. Wow. Um and I left South Africa when I was almost my turning twenty one, went to South Korea as a missionary teacher, teaching English and Bible. Um spent on and off for about 10 years there. Um, came out to Australia to study, finished up my degree, lived in the Philippines and studied in the Philippines for two and a half years and I've currently, this is my 17th year living in Australia. So you are an Aussie? Technically I am. I've got the citizenship certificate um, and so we're all good to go. So I, I claim. I claim I'm Australian.
1: Actually, the big question would be when Australia plays South Africa in cricket, who do you cheer for? Oh, uh, look! Um, now, now that's going to be the real test <laughs> on whether you're an Aussie or not. Yeah, no, or that's When, true, that's when true. the Springboks play the Wallabies, who are you who are you are uh, going for? Look, I.
4: I I have the citizenship as an Australian, uh, but the blood <laughs> that runs through my veins is very much South African. Um, and so when it comes to sports like that, uh, I'll support the Springboks. Tell me, I want to ask you a couple of questions
1: about education, because I think some of our listeners will be very interested in the Christian education system. Mm-hmm. Um, are there great challenges in Christian education in Australia, or is it pretty good going at the moment?
4: Um, well, I guess there's a couple facets you can look at that. Um, in fact, they're saying the independent system is growing faster, um, than the Catholic and the public system as far as schooling. Why? Um, look, I think, and this is a personal opinion, yeah. I think, I think people are looking for, something else yep. some value added yep. I'll use that term yep. um, and so they're sending their, their kids to independent schools um, who who have a a strong value system because it's not just as you know schools are not just about education or curriculum uh, it's about developing the whole child and I think that's something that we do really well um, especially at Mountain View Um yeah it's, it's about developing the whole child, it's not just about academics. So
1: let me let me just go on to that, dig a little deeper on that one. Mm. Um, what is the difference? Because actually I was brought, when I, when I grew up, I actually spent about half my time in a state school and the other half of my time in a Christian school. I'm not unlike Mountain View, not Mountain View, but similar yeah. school. Um, what is it that you are doing? Now, you're talking about values. Unpack that for us a moment. What
4: is it that parents perceive they're going to get here that they may not get in the state school? Um, look, again, this is not a, a dig at any schooling system. Yeah, I've yeah, been. yeah. Um, but when I enroll students and um, I ask them, why are you leaving your school? Um, they say, the teachers don't care. Okay, that just, just, just could just be because example. of the size
1: of the classroom. Maybe, maybe the size
4: of the class, whatever. And we we are sort of more boutique kind of schools. Um, Six hundred is not a very big number. No, it's not. Um, we get to know our students. We get to know how they learn. Um, our well-being programs. Focus not just on the kid at school But the kid at home as well Um, And so working with parents uh, Through communication And and our well-being team uh, We get to know the kids And they become part of our family And I think when you walk into our school Or any any of our schools actually uh, You will feel that that difference And I've heard it so many times uh, From parents There's something different about your school I felt it when I walked on your campus uh, And I think that's the Jesus factor Do you see kids' lives change? Do you actually see it? Definitely. Um, I, I, In fact, just um, a couple of months ago, I went to a baptism um, of a past student uh, when I worked at Hills and um, unchurched, um, but through the friendship group, started going to church and decided to take a stand um, for Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, and there was a beautiful testimony of what could happen in our schools. Um, I suppose
1: one of the great things about... Um, being in an Adventist or a Christian, same thing, school, is that whether or not a young person accepts Christ, they get a chance to. But the other thing is they do s- incorporate values which are really important if you're going to make it in life and be successful Definitely. as a good person. Definitely. Are we, um, in, in both the Adventist school system and, and the greater school system in Australia, are we pushing kids toward university or is there a recognition also that some kids are never going to be in university and they'd be better in the trades or, or something like that? How, how does that work today?
4: Look, I, I think, um, a couple of years ago we had it, we had it, on the money in australia yeah where kids were able to leave and go to tafe and do um vet courses and that kind of stuff but i think um our parents and again i'm generalizing uh, our parents want their kids to go to university because that seems to be the the way to go um i think you have to realize that not all kids are meant for school if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, some kids need to work at their hands. Some kids. Well, some of them, go them aren't going
1: to go on an academic road. Exactly.
4: You know what I mean? And I think um, maybe earlier on we probably need to direct them in, in, in that Do you that think way? that's
1: changing in Australia where there is a recognition that, yeah, you can be, uh, kind of successful with your hands and that's your your way and other person that might be to go to do you think that's changing or do you think there's still a, a pretty big push on uh, for university? And the reason I ask that is because if you go and try and fix your house now in Sydney, mm. your chances of getting a tradesman in a short period of time are almost zilch. Mm. And the tradesmen in Sydney are getting paid very, very good money. And so I'm just wondering at the level you guys are at as educators, is there a recognition not just from your school but in Australia and amongst general education that this is important that there are some young people we should be sending down that, what would you call it, more practical stream?
4: Yeah. Look, I, I think, I think um, if you listen to radio and all that kind of stuff, there is a shortage yeah. of, of tradespeople and I think... Um it comes back to us recognising that and pushing kids in that direction. So I think what has happened now is that the government says you've got to be 17 yeah. um, and still in school. Um, and so I suppose you could go to TAFE. But I think it's also uh, parental pressure. Yeah. Um, parents want their kids to, to have the uni degree. Um, they want
1: them to be doctors and engineers, yes. not builders and bricklayers.
4: That's it. And I think I think not... As I said, not everyone is meant for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's something we're working on. But with our careers, advise, advisors, and I guess the educators who work with those kids and saying, look, this is where your skills lie. This is where you should, you should head off to, towards. Let's um, look at that so. for a moment then. Mm.
1: You actually do have professionals come in or at the school, based at the school, who give the young people uh, advice on what career they should do.
4: Um, we we have a careers advisor, um, yeah. and and through that system, they will bring in experts to talk to the kids and that kind of stuff, um, and and some somehow get them, you know, to recognize what what they're good at, um, and each school sort of runs it differently, um, so it's not, you know, every school has the same thing going, um, but in my experience that that has happened, um, where. Students get advised on you know this is your aptitude this is your skills lie this is probably something you need to pursue. Okay, now this is a probably a question right field. Um, do you think we can
1: damage kids sometimes by not recognizing that they have a particular bend or a skill set to go not not a skill set but you know a natural bend to go in one direction and we've got a system that's pushing them in the other. In other words, I used to remember and, and I was kind of a, a, a pretty much just a middle student. In fact, Mm. I probably was more inclined with the way God made me to head toward university because practically, and you can ask Hunty here, our producer, director, I'm a disaster practically. I'm a guy who could never make what they used to have us make in woodwork and all the rest of it. Mm. So I probably needed to go in that direction and, and God kind of did get a hold of me and send me there. But do you think we we sometimes, is it possible we damage young people by not having that opportunity or do you think in the in the end they, they generally work? Where they should
4: Look, be. I, I, I think kids will find out where they need to need to go. Um, I think by end of year ten, into year eleven and twelve, kids generally figure out, hey, you know what, this is not for me um, and look at different opportunities.
1: Is it difficult for kids to come, and, and I'm, I'm going down this direction because I think per- perhaps 50% of our kids are like this. Is it difficult for young people to be in a system that kind of encourages a university sort of road when that's not for them? Or is it like, okay? oh, I mean, can it, imp- can, like, I knew some guys, I remember one guy in school, he just was not for the scholastic road and he's, he's pulling 10%, 15% mark in maths and, and no better, better in English and awful in history. Yeah. You could almost see him wilt.
5: Hmm.
1: And yet you know what? He went on to be a very, very skilled carpenter. And I'm just wondering, in the past at least, have our kids
4: suffered or do you think it's okay we see it as school and that's how it is? Oh, look, I I, I think um, some kids have. But again, uh, when when my learning enrichment coordinator talks to parents, yeah. for example, um, and parents want to keep the kids in school, yeah. <laughs> you don't have a choice. No. You know what I mean? And so, so uh, when parents understand... Also, the skills of the kids or the the learning ability and maybe that there is another path for them, Um, I guess you'll probably see that change a bit. Do parents struggle with that? Some parents do. Um, I think some, some parents... (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get myself into trouble. But I think yeah. sometimes we as parents want to live through our kids. Yeah. Um, and because I didn't go so I don't so think you get into
1: trouble. I think that's just reality. Yeah, you know, and then. We, and all, then, we,
4: all, we, we, all, we all want that. Yeah, and so we want to push our kids to, you know, different things. Yeah. Um, I used to do tours at, at, uh, my previous school and, uh, I used to talk to the parents about, physics and chemistry and all those subjects that they want their kids to be doing yeah. uh, and I tell them you know your kids need to choose subjects that they love doing because yeah, yeah. they'll do better at it uh, are on, there are enough <laughs> subjects to do that like, Oh if
1: yeah. I, if, I, if, if I'm if i a student here at uh, Mountain, Mountain View, Mountain View and, yeah. and I've got a bend towards the more practical I'm just using this as an example there are practical subjects you can
4: do at school aren't they? which oh, are look, more practical there's design and technology there's food technology um engineering, IT, um, IPT, computers, that kind of stuff. But I think gone are the days where... Um, you your subjects in school related to the course in university. Yeah. yeah. Most universities today will will accept you with your um, your school certificate. Yeah. Um, and you'll get into a course. So there, there are very few courses. Well, fair enough. If you're going to, go to the medical field, you, you should have done a yeah, science. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just you know, and and mathematics. Um, but even there, though, the universities kind
1: of give you a bit of a backup,
4: don't they? Because yeah. Because you can go
1: and do a, a pre math course the or a,
4: bridging courses and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah that's so, right. So
4: universities want students um and so there's everyone's trying to hold hands together and, and get the kids where they need to go um but yeah i think kids do make it through um yeah. and when they say um this generation will change their their job and career but nine to eleven yeah, times yeah. so um there's a thing called resilience too
1: isn't there that life doesn't always work out exactly. Sometimes you've got to go down a road which is not exactly the road you want to be on and Mm. it it can be a bit more difficult. And So there's an argument that when a a child is in school, even if they're not that scholastic, we are teaching them discipline and resilience, which which you you get a sense wouldn't hurt this generation.
4: Yeah, definitely. I I think um, you you could think back to your days at school, if you can remember that far. Um, But (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hunty can't,
4: he can't remember because
1: he's too far back but I can remember yeah
4: but and so so what you take out of school yes you might remember you know a certain something that happened in biology or or maths theorem or that kind of stuff but ideally you you remembered as you said the values that you were taught um, that sense of resilience that you know what um, I need to work at this Um, I I did a chapel um, last week for my senior students and I spoke about um, staying power the fact that you don't give up you know what I mean Um, and you get knocked down, but you pick up. You just pick yourself up and you move on. Um, and like I refer to this concept of growth mindset. You know, it's about learning. I always tell my students when I used to teach that learn one thing today. Just learn one thing. Um, That's not
1: re- a bad thing for life. Full stop, is it? Yeah,
4: definitely. You know, and yeah. and and that helps you to improve. That helps you to grow um, because. Yeah, that's that's the the, the challenge because kids are bombarded by so much these days. Yeah, um, they also learn to live and to interact.
1: With each other at school, is that correct? So it's not just about book learning, there's, there's social development going on as Definitely. they grow, as Definitely. they learn to. And, and I imagine your school would
4: encourage that and. and Definitely. Um, and, and we talk about our values, for example, here at Mountain View, uh, we have a, an acronym called RICI, R I C I, and those are the four values that that permeates everything we do um, our book work, our interactions, our chapels. Um, in fact, this. Um, can I make a plug? Yeah, yeah. Um, This Wednesday night, we're having a, a well-being conference. Um, oh, so, that's tomorrow conference. night. Tomorrow night, yes, the 12th. Um, and it uh, starts at 6.30 in our um, JE Hall. And so, so our values of Ricky, like R, is respect. Yeah. And so, you know... That's we, a big we, deal in this culture too. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, and that permeates respect for one another, respect yeah. for your teachers, respect for your learning, respect for people's property, Um the I stands for integrity, you know, the things you do, um, how you do it, um, how are you, com- you know, you talk nicely to people, how do you yeah. feel about yourself at the end of the day. The C stands for compassion, how we interact with one another, um, and I for initiative. Taking These are good values. Yeah, and, and there are. Um, and our students are grasping them, um, and that's sort of the medium that, that, we, that we teach them, um, which is really good.
0: You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: You know, Hunty, I spent 12 years at school and I'm about to do something that I've been waiting for a lifetime to do. (laughs) What's that? I'm going to get Irwin Stein to wait. Because I spent my whole life waiting for teachers.
2: I've seen the I've seen the next set of
1: questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I am going to I am going to get him to wait because I I kind of want to ask him some more questions. But there is a couple of things here I want to bring up today. We're still going to do later on. Still going to do. We are always going to do. Yep. Ask the Aussie pastor. Yep. Good segment. This is a good segment. I enjoyed I've, We've done it two times now. This will be the third time. And if you want to ask the Aussie pastor, I'm going to get Hunty to read the phone number and the email out. Just ask any biblical question or any question you've got on your heart, and if it's a good question, we deem it to be the best. What are we going to give them today? We'll send you out a beautiful, leather-bound Bible. No, it actually won't be leather. It'll be imitation. It'll look, like, it'll look like leather. <laughs> yeah, easy son. <laughs> we'll break the bank here, but we will send you out we if will. you're if we if if Hunty Hunty's the judge. Oh, good. It, 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 and I think he. No, I better not say he's looking for a a question that would stump the pastor. That would be very un- unnecessary. <laughs> However, the, the pastor might get stumped. <laughs> now look, if, if you've got a really good question and and we like it, Hunty will will give you the um the award. Yes, he will give you the award. I will. What is what's the number to SMS, Hunty? Okay. It's so a text message. SMS or text us your questions to
2: zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. Or you
1: can email us, info at aussiepastor.com. That uh, number again? Yeah, I want you to do it again. Uh, listeners, you can also text me and tell you, tell me whether you think he's got rhythm. I have. I have phone number rhythm. I'm not convinced on that, but I'm going his way because he <laughs> he really went offline. He Look, he really went hard at me about that. He said, Lloyd, you're doing it the wrong way and we will be doing it that way no longer. This is how it's to be done. So show us again, Auntie. <laughs> <Andy." laughs> Zero, four. Double
2: eight, double eight zero eight five one, 851 or info at com. So send us your questions, email them to us or SMS them to us and later in the program we'll throw them at the, at the pastor.
1: Well, and I'll do my best to answer them. But there's no guarantee, eh? Like I say, every week yep. there are some questions that come in that I might have to go away with and look at and study. I like it when that happens, actually. Oh, we've got a question there. Oh, that looks tricky. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's have a song. It's called Tradition by The Remnant.
6: And rising up against the nation, trouble everywhere you turn. As in the time of Noah, in the days before the flood, the love of many will wax cold, and streets will run with blood. Rape and murder, grief and sorrow, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, this world's gonna burn. I believe that we are living in the days John wrote about. The end times your mind out of the world Take your Bible off the shelf Read the book of Revelation for yourself
5: Tribulation
6: We're all gonna be here
5: Tribulation
6: When that flaming star comes down Tribulation When the seven seals are broken And the seven vows are open And seven trumpets sound The seals are broken, and the seven bow are Roman, and seven trumpets sound.
1: You know why I chose that song? is that? Because in the not-too-distant future, on and it's not far away, on this radio program, we're going to start to study some of the prophecies in the Daniel and the Revelation. Yeah, wow. Yeah, end-time prophecies. Bible, you know, hunty, the Bible is the most amazing book. Yep. And when we do this Ask the Aussie Pastor and we give a Bible away, it's the best gift we can give anybody. Absolutely. I don't even know whether we'll ever shift too far on our program from giving just the Bible away. Maybe steps to Christ? I think we're going to stick with the Bible. Great. Yeah, I, I think the Bible, that, that's where you go if you want to know the truth and if you want to know the truth from a first-hand source because the Bible, written by men who are inspired directly by God. So it's a beautiful thing. So again, ask the Aussie pastor yes. that phone number. 488 851
2: or email us, info at aussiepastor.com.
1: Any question, I really encourage you, any question, just get on the blower. That's the phone. <laughs> Text us or email us. I, and there's some questions coming in. Praise God, there are some questions coming in. I'm very, very, very thankful for that. Uh, this song, Hunty, Redeemer by Nicole C. Mullen. I do know this one beautiful.
7: Who taught the sun where to stand
5: in the morning? And who told the ocean you can know?
1: That is one of the great songs running around at the moment. I love anthem songs
2: like that that build and build.
1: Just beautiful words too, I know. I know my redeemer lives. And and remember it's not too late to text us, to email us, so that the Aussie pastor can answer your questions. I think we've kept the good principal waiting (laughs) long enough. Welcome, Irwin. How long have you been a
4: teacher? I have been a teacher um for about twenty five to twenty seven years because I I studied you know um during those times but yeah you've actually been a
1: teacher almost as long as I've been a pastor and I'm a fair bit older than you too you've been teaching teaching (laughs) have you noticed a difference in the students over the years and the second part to that question because we get hit by this. In the media all the time, are students getting more difficult to discipline, or is, or has or is it
4: kind of been static? you know, through
1: the years of your teaching.
4: Oh, look, um, yes, the students have changed. Um, you, you can't deny that. Um, You've seen that, have you? Oh, yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. And we, we we touched on resilience earlier, um, and we find that's something that kids are, are lacking, and that's something that Why? that we've had to look. I I, I guess you did say you're older than me but I'm also from that generation where I believe you need to give your kids a sense of struggle a sense of you know I got to work at it and I think too many times we as parents want to rescue our kids um, and uh, from young we've told them that oh you're amazing uh, pat on the back every sometimes they're not amazing and they're, and they're not you know and I think unfortunately we haven't Kept it real for them? Why have we done that? Because it's our generation and
1: the generations after us. Mm. I mean, I'm a generation in front of you, but your generation too, and the generations after you. Why have we done this? Because I think it, my generation did it too. Why have we done this to our kids? Why have we wrapped them in cotton wool and tried to stop the struggle? Because I think you're right. The struggle is important. Yeah.
4: Look, I, uh, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I think mm, as, a, as a parent – um, look, there are lots of voices out there saying this and that and the other. And I guess as a parent, you want to, you think you're doing the best for your kid. You know, you, 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 are protecting them. And that's what we call for to do as parents to protect our kids. Um, but I think we, we have lost the plot, so to speak in, in, in that we're not realizing that the struggle builds character. Um, and, uh, builds perseverance in kids and i think we have taken that away um but th- that is the way the world you know it's yeah. an instant generation it's the instant yeah um, you know kind of, yeah. it's like i want this and you get it yeah. uh, whereas if, if when i was a kid you want something <laughs> you got to work for it <laughs> go get a job you know yeah, yeah, um, you yeah. can afford it and now it's like um <laughs> i see kids wearing um 250 280 sneakers and i go what with an iphone 12 uh, you know an iphone 12 <laughs> yeah. and 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 that kid's not in your 12 Th- that kid is in your 6 oh, boy. you know what i mean so so you go what are our parents doing uh to our kids it's um and again not not everyone um and i wouldn't say that's about my community as well yeah. um but in the other schools that i've i've worked at that's, you know, kids have and, got more expensive things than I have.
1: And again, let me just push a little bit further there again. Have you got a view on why we're doing this as parents?
4: <laughs> Look, I can't speak for other parents.
1: Um, yeah, but I'm just saying, you you see you meet a lot of parents through the years. Through mm-hmm. 25 years of teaching, you've you've met many parents. You, you, you've seen how we operate as parents and how we work. Why are we doing this? Just like any relationship,
4: um, it takes work. Yep. Um, and I think parents are so busy working and trying to keep up with Mr. and Mrs. Jones or whatever Sydney market has, has yes. um, decried. Um, I think we, we're trying to placate our kids. Um, but rather than train them, them, them. Yeah, rather than training them. Rather I than think, putting the time into training, Putting train. the time in. So, so if I can give a kid my iPad to keep them occupied, um, hoo hoo. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm free to do what I need to do. Um, I think just last week we were talking about that with some of the staff, um, of parents who take the kids out for, for lunch or whatever, but they're sitting on their phones. Yeah. Not the kids, the parents. That yeah. Is. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that connection has been lost. Um, and that, so, like I said, you know, relationships take work. Yeah. Um, and if you want to train up your kid um, in the way they should go, um, you've got to put the time and the effort in.
1: Um, Interesting you say that because even with my son, I've got, I got four children. The youngest is still in school, 14 years old, year 10, I, year 9. Well, I'll get into trouble saying that. <laughs> it's so much easier on a Sunday, which is my day off, just to let him play online video games than to stop, put the time in with him, go out and do stuff with him. Yeah. And there's a great temptation for parents just to do that. And yet, I think what you're saying is we need to spend time, with, invest time with our children. Mm. Um, yeah, look, do you see any great dangers out there for our kids? I guess I'm talking about now video games and those. Are they, is that impacting the ability of, of
4: teachers to teach our children? Oh look, I I, I think so. Um, we we at Mountain View are always um, trying to look at ways to engage our kids. Um, so teaching strategies are very important. Um, but how do you <laughs> how do you compete with an iPad? And Google, you know, uh, where it's just... Well, a- how, how do you teach a generation of kids,
1: it's a good question, is it? isn't it, it, that are just hmm. saturated in, in video games? I mean, we've got kids that, if I let my son play his video games, he'd start when he woke up and he wouldn't stop till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. I remember one day we went away on a Sunday to go away with my wife somewhere, and we left him. We left him, and we said, you know, you give him the rules one hour. We left him. We came home. He had spent 16 hours straight playing games without a drink, no food. This guy is dehydrated. He's hungry, (laughs) and yet he's glued to the video game. It's got to have an impact on your abilities to punch through for genuine education, mm. when we're when we're letting our kids develop their minds in
4: this this fashion, yeah, no, I think I think it's, it's a it's a serious issue. Um, stats have shown that kids have don't have the ability to focus um, to stay on task, um, so which which makes teaching a lot dif- more difficult because um, you want kids to be on task, and uh, I guess. If you're a boring teacher, hopefully you're not. Um, that's one thing. But but most of our teachers are trying to engage the kids. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much just to impart knowledge, um, but it's to help the kids to be able to to learn how to think, how to reason, how to show initiative. Um, I think one of the things that we do here um, at Mountain View is project-based learning. You know, so getting the kids involved um, to working working collaboratively. Um, looking at the issue, trying to work out a solution. Does that
1: hold their attention better?
4: Yes, very much so. So so.
1: I I think what you're saying is you you are having, you have had to, through the years, change your approaches
4: to education and how you teach. Definitely, definitely. Gone are the days where you stand in your class and you drone on and on and on. (laughs) it <laughs> doesn't work like that. <laughs>
1: Some would say we're still doing that at church.
4: <laughs> you know,
1: here in the media all the time, this concept, this idea, oh, our teachers are poorly trained, they they're, they can't really, they don't know the subject themselves. Do Is that the truth? Or are teachers well-trained and we can trust what's going on in our
4: education system and, and perhaps bring it back to your school too? Look, I, I, I can talk for, for other systems, yep. uh, but I know in, in my school... Um, my teachers are well prepared and, and well trained, um, but having said that, you you hone your skill when you 're actually in the classroom. Yeah. Um, I think universities and and, and different institutions yes, the, the teachers come out you know once for six week blocks and that kind of stuff um, but that teaching um, gets honed in a relationship with the kid. Um, that's that's where it matters.
1: So what you're saying it's not really until you get into the classroom. Oh, definitely, that definitely. You can and, and how many years does it take to become a good teacher?
4: Oh, look, um, it does vary. <laughs> I think I think uh, the first five years people decide whether they want to be in the fi- in in this um, career uh, choice. Um,
1: but I I think uh, you, I, you know I was a, I was do you know I was trained as a teacher. Yeah, a secondary teacher. You know what put me off forever? I mean, this is why I say how many years it... To mate, students? No, I actually like the students. I, I often think that probably my dream job, and if I had, could have chosen what I would do, would be to be a Bible teacher hmm. in, a, in a school like yours. It's wonderful because yeah. you can impact young people's lives through the years, hundreds and thousands of them. Definitely. But what... You know, how long does it take to be good, a good teacher? I went prac teaching for six weeks. You know, mm-hmm. that means when I'm still in university, I've got to go into the school and teach. I found it horrendous because the, the school I was at, the last one, eight periods a day. And so you've got to teach six of them the workload to try and get six classes up and go. Almost impossible.
4: Well, look. I, I guess if that is your your first, your second, third year, um, it, it is tough. It do is you retain tough. these young teachers, or do, is, can it become overwhelming? It, it can. It can. Um, I, I, we, we say teaching is a calling. Yeah. Um, and and it's true. Um, if you if you're in it for the paycheck, uh, it's not a very good paycheck. Um, I, I, I'm saying it glibly, but. Yeah. but you you're here to make a difference in kids' lives, and so yes, there's lots of prep, there's lots of, and and, and that never ends. Um, I'm I'm married to a teacher. Um, I so see even that, as you I, get on in the years, you're still preparing yeah, class. Look, but but I think I think over over time, if you continue teaching the same subject, yeah. um, that content becomes ingrained within you. So, um, for example, I've been teaching studies of religion for quite a few years, yeah. so I can walk into a class um, and. I know the the content, I know the outcomes. Yeah. Um, I can teach that class and probably do it quite confidently and competently um, but it's it 's about that, so a um, teacher's going
1: to get better and better as the years go oh, by. definitely
4: um i think I think as I mentioned earlier, um, a teacher never arrives, yeah um, because our students keep changing, yeah yeah so you 're not getting the same i I have a um, saying well not a saying but uh, something that i've put up it says we are called to teach the kids that we have in our classes now not the kids we had last year not the kids we want to have uh, but the kids we have now I like that. um and so we as teachers got to be cognizant of that that every year our kids change um and so your teaching style has to change um the content might stay the same but the way you teach it because this, this is a different group um will change and so you've got to be ahead of the game all the time. Do you have teacher support and uh, like further teacher education for your teachers here in this school? Yeah, so we we at Mountain View have a very strong PLC or professional learning community. So in fact, this afternoon we have one of those sessions. Um, Our teachers go out for professional development. Uh, We get consultants in um, and those times that um, you might think we're on holiday, which we're not, um, spend Spent learning, reading. Well, I'm going to
1: ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> Hunty wants to know the answer to this too because he reckons you guys get long holidays. So if you look at it uh, every year, you get what around? Let, let's just look at it in ten weeks. He reckons.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is
1: it ten weeks a holiday? Do, do no, teachers actually get not, 10, not weeks ten weeks
4: of holiday? We get. Four to five weeks of holiday, same as most people people at the end of the year.
5: Yeah.
4: Um, The times between terms we call them non-term times. Now, going back to what you said about teaching six periods or five periods a day, I I I will dare anyone to come. just just try our job for a week yes. um, of teaching kids where you, you're teaching you're disciplining uh, behaviour management all that kind of stuff um, and then keep keep working continuously. Uh, you will have a mental breakdown, um and you'll have burnout. Um so, so that's you've, you've got it
1: you've got to get back, you're saying, yeah, into these um, free that, time. So so stuff. so
4: those weeks in between terms. Yeah. It's mostly used for prepping for the next term. Yeah. Um and marking and that kind of stuff.
1: And if you didn't you're not gonna survive teaching, no, simple as you're that.
4: Not, you're not because we we've all got deadlines, we've all got things that are happening. Um and so you gotta keep abreast of that. So if you're married to a teacher or if you have a teacher in your family, you know what they go through. Yeah. Um, it's those people who don't um, and always want to tell us our jobs um, that don't fully understand what goes into teaching. Because it is, it actually is a difficult career in that there's so much work involved and your
1: heart must be in the children, I guess. Definitely. Um, what's the retention rate like with che- teachers? Do they survive or do you lose most of them? Or how does that
4: work? Look, um I don't know the stats off the top of my head. Um but I know for one, males leave the profession a whole lot earlier than, than females. Um reason for that? Just it's it's a it's a lot of work. It's, it's it's a lot that you ask to do. Um I think and I'm not complaining, but I think parents' expectations of what we should be doing, um in, in schools. Um of course now in schools we you're the teacher, you're the counsellor, um, you know, you you look after all, all these things. Um so it, it gets tough for some people, um and, and they they leave. Um but yeah, the ones who stay are the ones who I'm not saying people left are not good at yeah, anything, yeah. but the ones that stay are, are in it for, for the long haul. Yeah. Um, it, it must be difficult, though, to be able to continue to have that passion
1: when it is so intense being able to uh, get the lessons up, the classes up, but also to, to interact and to relate to the children. That can't always be really easy.
4: It's not. Yeah. Um, and again, if you don't love it, you're probably not there for the right reasons. Okay, one more question. Yeah. Would you still
1: be a teacher if you had your life again after 25 years?
4: I'd confidently say yes. Um, I love young people. I, I love teaching. I, I love those light bulb moments where kids get it. Um, where they see the connection. Now, okay. you spoke about being a Bible teacher. I was a Bible teacher for, yeah. for many years. Um, and just to, to open and unpackage that for kids yeah. um, and see them get who, who Christ is, um, I think it's is an awesome opportunity.
1: What would you say to a young person out there today listening to this radio interview thinking about teaching?
4: If you are passionate about young people and you're passionate about making a difference in their lives, because technically it's not about you anymore, um, then you're in the right profession. Go for it. Um, but if you're not I- interested in that, then um, choose mechanics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for your time today, Erwin um, Stein.
4: If you do live in northwest Sydney, check his school out. Mountain View Adventist College has got our website. Um, and have a look at, you can take a virtual tour um, and, and get in there. And what was that website? mvac.adventist.edu.au
1: I think you did pretty good. Thank you. God bless you in this important ministry. (laughs)
4: Thank you so much.
0: You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey,
1: Hunty. Yeah, mate. Did you know that I trained as a teacher? I did. Yeah. I've been a pastor for 31 years and everybody thinks I did theology, but I didn't. My wife's a teacher. Yeah, she trained as a teacher as well. I'll tell you what I learned about being a teacher. Okay. It is really, really hard work. I agree. If you've got say an eight-period day and you've got to teach six periods, wow, that is tough. I don't
2: think I could. I don't think I could deal with the disrespect. Um, I'd, I'd well, have, I'd, have to, I'd be in trouble first. See, corporal I corporal punishment. I,
1: <laughs> I did it thirty-one years ago, and the kids were pretty much fantastic back then. What I just found when I went, I think I went in my fourth year, I went prac teaching, which is when they, a student teacher goes into the school and has got to teach on a full teacher's load. And I went for six weeks. And when I'm doing five and six periods of teaching a day, I actually found it very, very tough. And, so I, and I, I worked out pretty quickly that those holidays that you think teachers have. Ten weeks. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> because you've got to go, away, and you've got to get all these classes I'm only ready. staring and I, Yeah, I know yeah. And I know how hard it is to get a sermon ready Hey, you're looking a bit under the weather today, mate I'm a bit sunburned <laughs> what, what have you been doing?
2: Well, I'm way worse than just sunburned I can hardly even move my arms or legs So what have you
1: been doing? Cycling That's right, Hunty and I, we're on an exercise binge We are Hunty doesn't really have to, I have to I, I gotta, Oh, I have to For different reasons <laughs> I got a, um, a doctor the other day. My doctor said to me, you're going to get out. You're going to have to lose weight and you're going to have to exercise. And he gave me some pretty bad news, auntie. Yeah. He said, you've got diabetes. Yep. And with diabetes, you've got to watch your, you got to watch what you eat. Yep. And you've got to watch that you do some exercise. And so I've been, ex- how far did you ride today? Just under 12 Ks, which is a pretty good effort because that's your second ride. Third. Is it your third
2: or your second? Yeah, the first one, I didn't break a tyre. The second one, I blew up my back tyre. (laughs) And today, I
1: didn't blow up a tyre. So, you did 12 k's. 12 k's, yeah. Well, you're in front of me. But I will say this. I've been riding, what, four or five weeks now? Well, hang on a minute. How many k's did you do today? Yeah, but I've been riding five or six weeks. I did today 36 k's. Wow. That's right. Um, I did it between... Some work I did with you this morning in this radio program. I thought I, in fact, I got myself so far away, (laughs) I didn't know I was going to make it back to the radio program. But you know what? It is really, really important. I'm learning this as I get older, especially if you want to stay active, if you want your mind to be active and if you want to sleep well. Man, you have to exercise. That's sadly true. In fact, whether you are young or old, you should be out there exercising. I think we better dedicate our whole program to exercise and health.
2: Dr. Ross back, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, because you're starting to realise, you know what I did today? What's that? I rode for the first time on good food. Oh. You know what I have for breakfast? What? I had steel-cut oats nice. and raspberries nice. in almond milk. Yes. I, I, no, it was beautiful. I, I soaked the, the steel-cut oats overnight, so I don't even cook them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at
2: me like that Because I had my oats with A2 milk <laughs> and honey.
1: Well, I can't have honey. Well, um, I suppose you're not, not true, supposed you to yeah. have stuff that spikes your blood sugar, you yep, know? Yep. So I'm running on this low GI superfood and I go riding and I rode 37 k. That's impressive. Yeah, for me it is. For and, anyone it is. Yeah, let's face it. Well, not Rob. I'm on a, no, he's a guy who goes to our <laughs> church who rides 100 and he's older than both of us. In fact, as we're doing this program, he's riding up in the, yeah, up in the, the Blue Mountains. mountains of, yeah, Bill's yeah, yeah, line of road. Yeah, amazing, actually. But, um, what I, what I worked out, and I've been doing this four, five, maybe six weeks, I can't remember, but when I, when I rode this morning, to have good food energizing, you know, stoking your engine makes such a difference. And your health matters. And I don't think you realize how important your health is until you lose it. And I was on the verge of losing it, Hunty. The good thing is I've been to my doctor, uh, two times this next time in a couple of weeks or with the third time. I don't know, I've forgotten what you call it, but my count is going down. Oh, so good, I'm good. with my exercise and my change of diet, it's actually looking like... I, I, they say you can't recover from diabetes. Have you heard that? I thought you could. No, I've got type 2. Apparently, once you've got it, you've got it. You've uh, always got to be careful. Really? But that might not be a bad thing for me because it means I'm going to have to be of my health and make sure I exercise. Man, you and me, we haven't really exercised regularly for a long time. You know what I realised that I was in big trouble? What's that? It's when I climbed Mount Kosciuszko a couple of months ago. <laughs> Wheezing and puffing, and I guess. Every, I was passed by a three-year-old. Actually, you told me you were passed by a couple of 75-year-olds. A couple of old people. Um, who patted me patronizingly on the back and said, almost there. It took me another two hours. And I met them (laughs) on the way back. They'd been up there and had a picnic and spent an hour up there and on there. And they gave me another patronizing pat and said, you're mate. And I'm wheezing. (laughs) I'm I'm actually literally coughing. I'm struggling that hard. There's no oxygen up there too. Yeah, but it's not an excuse because I'm just so, I was was so unfit. And on the way back, a three year old toddler with a mother passed me. And I thought, that's (laughs) it. And ever since then, I've been working on my, my my exercise program, and I'm getting my diet together. And in a month or two, I'm going to go back up to Mount Kosciuszko. We should go up there and do this live radio program from there, Hunty. We should. If we could both make it. I reckon we'll do better. I'd do better this time, and I think you'd do it easily. Um, but th- but exercise is important, and if you're not exercising and you're not watching your diet, whether you're young or old, probably now is a good time to start now to do that. Now is always a good time. Hey, we're not far away from Ask the Aussie Pastor. Can you remind us of the phone Certainly. number to, to text and the email if you, if you want to? to Certainly.
2: If you, if you want to send a question to the Aussie Pastor, and please do, 488 That's an SMS number, or you can just email his, us, info at aussiepastor.com.
1: Okay, this next song, Hope, Patience, Prayer, is by Anna Beedon, really good friend of mine and a beautiful singer.
7: Lift your head, little one, lift your eyes to see the sun, lift your heart and burden soul. oh rejoice in hope, lift your head.
1: Program today welcome Harold Thank you Lloyd seems like you're becoming a regular
8: well it's great we've got great topics to talk about
1: great stories of great men and women there's no doubt about that and today's is no different John Brown
8: oh this one's a butlery it's a great great story
1: it is a great story and to get into it we've got to go back to Scotland in the 1600s just to remind us because we have spoken about these guys before but remind us back in Scotland so we're in Scotland we're in the 1600s. Remind us what a covenanter is, a covenanter. Did I say that right?
8: Yep. Okay, let me talk about in 1636, Charles I was king of England and Scotland and he enforced the Anglican Book of Canons on the Presbyterians. And the next year, he made them take the liturgy of the Church of England and the Presbyterians didn't like it and they signed a covenant. That's why they're called covenanters to God into Scotland and uh, they tried some of them even rebelled and they were called dissidents rebels is this a
1: political blue or is it a religious one or is it a bit of
6: both
8: it was uh, religious but Charles as the head of the Church of England wanted his whole country to be the same and he was trying to use force that God never uses
1: it never works does it when you're trying to enforce people right. to worship in a certain way so so Let's go back to the to the Covenanters in Scotland. What was the Pentland Rising?
8: Well, the Pentland Rising was in about ten sixty six, and a number of these Covenanters thought if they march through southwest Scotland, they might gather enough, and they can beat the English forces, and they will be free to worship as they like. But they were beaten just outside Edinburgh, just south of Edinburgh, about thirty k south at the Pentland Hills and it's called the Pentland Rising, where they rose against the English forces.
1: Was it a big battle or more just a, a little uprising? Not a,
8: not a huge one, but a number of Covenanters then just scrambled and went back home to the hills and whatnot, and for years after, they were trying to capture these guys who had rebelled and to kill them.
1: Now, going to John Brown, do we know whether he was at the Pentland Rising? Because we know he was a covenanter, right?
8: Yes, he was a covenanter. He wasn't at the Pentland Rising, but uh, he he believed with them, and, in fact, when the authorities captured some of these men, he would even look after their families a little bit and help the kids. So was he a rich man or a poor man? No, he was a poor man. He was he was poor. He lived out on the, the moors, you'd say, in this little brick uh, stone hut that he'd built, probably one roomer, and he was quite poor.
1: So when he was looking after these Covenanter families, he was really trusting in God to, to give him the the bread and the
8: water to be able to do it. He sure was, and he, he just wanted to help anyone who needed help. Was he well-educated? Yeah, he was reasonably well-educated. He could read well, and uh, he knew what the covenant was all about when they promised to serve God and, and Scotland and worship as they wanted to. And so he was very involved that way.
1: So if we're getting the picture here, he's a covenanter, he's a Presbyterian, he loves Jesus, he is a poor man, but he's doing everything he can to to advance Jesus, to look after those who are even less well-off than himself. He becomes a Christian carrier. I was interested in this. What does that mean?
8: As a Christian carrier, he would walk around the moors and the hills and carry things for different, some of the peasant farmers, and often for the uh, ministers who were living out in the hills because they couldn't worship as they had before and he would carry messages to and fro around there so he was a carrier uh, the only way they could communicate with each other
1: that would have been a fairly dangerous job i would have i would have imagined
8: oh very very dangerous take your life in your hand when you went out
1: now, we know he was married because he had a, a a daughter. Do we know what happened to his first wife?
8: No, we, she probably died in childbirth or something. I don't know what it was. But he had this young five-year-old daughter, and uh, he he was looking after her.
1: So he's a single father.
8: At that time, he was. Yeah. He, I guess he was looking for someone else to help care for his kid.
1: So he meets his second wife. Who is she? Tell us a story. Is,
8: Isabel. Was a uh, Isabel Weir, was her name. She came from the little village of Sorn, not far away from where John was at Priest Hill, and he often did business for her father. And so he got to know this young lady. Uh, he met her in about 1680, mm. and uh, a couple of years later, they get married.
1: Actually, it's an interesting courtship because while he's courting her, he shared something. And they were serious people back then. There's no doubt about it. Not like young people, I guess today. Um, she shared an eerie. He shared an eerie premonition with her. What was that?
8: Well, he he knew as a Christian carrier moving around the countryside, any day he could be caught by the uh, dragoons, the soldiers of England, and forced to either disavow the covenant or pray for the king, which they wouldn't do. And any day he could be killed. And so he said to Isabel, I'm frightened. One day I'll be asked to seal my test me with my blood.
1: Mm. And he's, he's sharing this with her as he's courting with her. That's right. So they get married in 1682. They fall in love. It, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at these stories of these brave men and women, they still go through life and they still fall in love. And he falls in love. Life still goes on. Yeah, and he marries her, but the pastor said something very interesting at the wedding. Share that with us.
8: Well, the pastor was Alexander Peden, one of the great covenant of preachers, and he came and he married them, and as soon as they were married, he had something to say to Isabel, and this is what he said. Isabel, you've got yourself a good husband. Value him highly. But keep linen for a winding sheet beside you, for in a day you least expect it, your master will be taken from you. In other words, you're going to bury him soon.
1: So the linen was something to bury him in.
8: That's right. Mm. Fancy getting married and told you're going to lose your husband soon.
1: Well, they were living in serious times, weren't they?
8: It Um, was called the killing times.
1: Yeah. Do we know how long they were
8: married? Oh, they would have been married only a year or two. So In what fact, ha- probably less than uh, just over a year, because uh, Isabel was pregnant when the next big event came along, and she was caring for his five-year-old daughter, and she was pregnant with another child.
1: So he's so here. Here is this newly married man, and I guess he's yep. still fairly young. He
8: yes, he, he would
1: be. He has a, a five-year-old daughter. He has a new baby on the way, and he is confronted with the last day of his life. What happened?
8: Well, he wouldn't have known that that morning it was this last day, but he started the day uh, putting his life in God's hands and reading the Bible. You know what he did that day? Mm-hmm. He, he starts out in the morning and he sings, Psalm 27 verses 1 to 4. The psalms were songs and these Presbyterians would sing some of these psalms and then he read the chapter of John, chapter 16 for the day. That was his morning devotions. Mm. He was really committed to God and to, to follow the Lord.
1: Actually amazing, here he is living the last day of his life and he's singing Psalm 27 because if you know Psalm 27... That's a psalm about God's protection against our enemies.
8: That's right.
1: So what happens to him?
8: Well, he's out on one of his carrying uh, work as a Christian carrier, and he gets met by a a guy called Claverhouse. In fact, he was the seventh laird of Claverhouse, became a Viscount, and his job was to try and eradicate all the covenant is in southwest Scotland. And Claverhouse was known for his cruelty. And he caught uh, John Brown this day and said, hey, what you've got to do, denounce the covenant. Mm. And he doesn't. Well, then why don't you worship with the local curate? Because the local curate would have been um, uh, one who did what the local bishop said, mm. the Anglican bishop. Mm. And he said, no way. He said, well, pray for King James II. He says, no. Mm. And because of that, he's brought back to his little cottage house out there, a one-room place. It would have been dark and dreary. Smoke was, would have come up from the fire on the floor, so it was all dark inside and smoky. But he was dragged back there by Claver House and his troop, of soldiers or dragoons as they called them. And there they find Isabel with the other girl and they, she comes out and meets this guy being dragged home by Claverhouse. Can I ask
1: a question, um, two questions really here. Number one, why wouldn't they pray for the king?
8: Well, the the king was the one who was enforcing them to try and worship as they didn't want to.
1: So when they said pray for the king, were they actually saying pray a blessing on the king for what he's yes, doing? Yeah, yeah. And secondly, and this this uh, perplexed me a bit. Why did Clay the house? This, and by the way, was he an Englishman or a Scot?
8: I I think he was a Scot, but he was working for the king of England. He was a laird yeah. and a viscount, so he was one of the lords. Yeah. But his job was to you know eradicate these non-conformists people who call themselves christians
1: so why does he drag john brown back to his house what's the point of that
8: well he's going to really show his wife he knew where he lived and he yeah. brought him back there and there he really calls out to his wife and says here it is and says to john brown okay the end of your life you're going to uh, be shot now and john brown says sir can i pray yeah and he said, "Yes, go on." And John Brown starts to pray and pray for Scotland and pray the Lord will bless and the Bible will be there and be read. And this guy says to him, "I said pray, not preach."
1: <laughs> In other words, and he's praying a fairly long prayer.
8: <laughs> he was, yeah. And then he says to him, "Sir, you wouldn't know the difference." He says that. He
1: says that to Clover House.
8: Yeah, you wouldn't know the difference of praying or preaching. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens? And then, then of course, he's shot. In fact, one, one record of this says that the soldier refused to shoot him and so Claverhouse took his own a pistol out and shoots him dead in front of his wife.
1: That must have been a ho- child. That's horrifying, isn't it? For that to happen.
8: Oh, it's terrible.
1: How did his wife respond? I mean, that's a funny question, I suppose, but how did she respond in the fact... Well, and I asked that because she'd she been told by both John Brown and the pastor of the day when they were married that yep. his life would probably end as it did. How did she respond?
8: Well, Claybury house came across sitting on his horse probably mm. and coming across her and says, OK, what do you think of your husband now? Mm. And she replies... I've always been proud of him, but his blood is a fire in the heather that you'll never put out. In fact, Billy Graham took that and used this illustration. they they did a um, they acted out all of this, mm-hmm. and they used this as the name of the um, film that they put out for the great pro- crusade that he ran through Edinburgh back years ago, fire on the heather. And she says his blood is a fire in the heather you'll never put out.
1: And did the Presbyterian church go from strength to strength with martyrs like John Brown because he wasn't the only one?
8: No, he wasn't the only one, but it did go. And as you know, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. It is. And the church came stronger because of it.
1: Well, final question, just amazing. Again, very inspiring story. These stories put the hair on the back of my neck up. And I, you know, you think, oh boy, we've got it pretty good today compared to what they have. And we complain and whinge, but man, have we got it good when it comes to sharing the gospel? We're, we're not under persecution yet like that. Um, what do you think we can learn as Aussie Christians or people thinking about Christ and Christianity, perhaps this is the road they might want to go. What can we learn from John Brown's life today?
8: Well, I've plotted across that moor to the place where his little house used to be located, and there is a little sign about this martyr. And I believe John Brown was a man of God who pledged his life to the Lord and has been a monumental example to all of us what true surrender is. It may take you to be a martyr, but if not, we live for him fully each and every day of our lives.
1: Well, I was interested how his day began, and we talk about his last day, but you can almost be sure that every day began with Bible study and
8: singing every day, and prayer. Yeah, that's John Brown. Yeah. What a name, a simple name, John Brown, but he is an example from Scotland To all of us.
1: A simple man living a simple life with an extraordinary story, a great hero of God. Thank you again, Harold, for that very inspiring story. I just hope and pray that it will encourage us in our walk with Christ to be faithful in the little things, because one day the little things become big things, don't they? Amen. God bless you, mate.
0: Thank you, Lloyd. God bless you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: Such brave men, hunty. Yeah. Absolutely incredible what they did yeah. for Jesus Christ. And when Harold comes on and tells these stories, seems like none of these stories end up good, doesn't it? No. They all got really bad, mm. sad mm. endings. Um Man, these people suffered for Christ. Hopefully, we'll get a few more stories out of Harold before he's through. I know he's got about a thousand of them backed up there. Mm, he <laughs> does. He just knows them. They just pour out of him, don't, don't they? He could. He should write a book, actually. This next song, Keith and Kristen Getty. I came across these singers probably about six or seven years ago. Do you know where they're from, Hunting? No, they're from Ireland. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, and this is one of those modern hymns, but it is just so beautiful. It's one of my favourite songs. Yeah, we love singing this one at New Hope, don't we? We do. In Christ Alone.
5: In Christ Alone, my hope is found.
1: Hunty, it's a really nice song isn't it Love it That's a ripper They actually sing some It's a husband and wife From Ireland They actually sing some Really nice songs together Well Praise the Lord We have got some questions Come in to ask The Aussie pastor We do Hunty. Yes And so you have to judge Which one's the best Okay uh, Some of them actually Hark back to last week Yes So people obviously Are listening to i was almost said Watching the program <laughs> <laughs> They're listening to the program Week after week Which is good Um Fire away. Let's see how we go. All right. This one's uh,
2: from Jenny who's been vaccinated. She wants to know, after I received my second dose, could I still unwittingly pass on COVID to someone else?
1: Okay. So she's talking her COVID-19, either AstraZeneca or Pfizer. I would assume so, yes. Yeah. Well, I interesting question that, and I'm no nurse, doctor or scientist, so I really am unqualified to answer it, except I did ask Dr. Cad. Yep. I call him Doctor Cad. Doctor Cadrian. Cadrian. Yep. Yeah. You know why I call him that because we called him Cad at college. We called him Cad at School. Yeah, yeah, that was his nickname. Yeah. I did ask Doctor Cadrian that. I said, well look, um, outside of our interview, I said, look, if 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 I get the the jab and I'm inoculated against this virus, can I still be a carrier? And he told me very clearly, yes you can. Okay. So that's a bit alarming, but it's still the truth. The second thing I said to him, well, if I get the jab, can I still get sick? And he said, well, yes, you can. That's why one's called 85%. I think the Pfizer's 85% yep. protection. Yep. The other one's 70. Some have said as low as 50. Funny how us oldies have to take the, the AstraZeneca, which of the two seems to be the dud, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so the quick answer is yes, 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 you can get sick and yes, you can pass on. How sad that is. All right, this next question. Um,
2: hi, guys. Just wondering how important angels are to our lives and whether
1: or not we actually have a guardian angel. Um, that's a good question, and it's one I've often wondered. You know, the Bible actually doesn't say too much about uh, guardian angels, although we do have one. The Bible's clear on that. We have a guardian angel An angel that's job is set aside to care for us Nice no, uh, Hunter your guardian angel is a very busy boy I mean here you are an old man Still yes. riding a motorcycle Riding bikes Doing yes. things that old men don't do yes. And so your guardian angel's very busy isn't he Very busy Probably mine not as busy <laughs> <laughs> But in all seriousness, seriousness We do have uh, a guardian angel And what was the other part of that question? Um
2: how important angels are to our lives and whether we actually have a guardian angel or not. Well,
1: how important are they to our lives? I think they're very important. Me God chooses to do things in certain ways. God does not need angels any more than he needs you or me or me or Hunty to take the gospel to the world. God does not need that. But God chooses to share his work with the beings that he has created. And God created angels. He chooses to allow those angels, he sends them to care for us, to look after us, and to communicate at times on his behalf to men. And so, yeah, angels are very, very important in the Bible. They are messengers, they are created, but they are supernatural. We can't see them unless they choose because God gives them permission to reveal themselves to us. By the way, Hunty, if an angel came to you, how would you tell whether it was an angel of light or an angel of darkness? Oh Well, look, I've heard stories from... From missionaries, because who, there who there assume. are two there are two types of angels. There are angels of light. Yes, these are the ones who work for God. Yes, and there are angels of darkness. These are the third of the angels in Revelation uh, twelve that fell to Earth and tempt us. The demons that are on the Earth today and cause such havoc. And um, both groups of angels do and come can um, can and do come to mankind. I'd like so to how know, would you? I'd like you to tell me? Do you know? I was hoping that I would be easy able to spot that, but now I'm wondering. How, how I can I've do often this. wondered what would I do. And I would do a simple thing. I'd ask that angel to confess that the Lord Jesus oh, yes. of Nazareth yes. is the Christ, the Messiah, Yahweh, the great God of the universe. Yes, that would be a perfect test. That's what I'd do. So I'd yeah. say, look, can you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes. And I'd say Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's make it. I try and point it down. Brilliant. And so if you have Angels or beings visiting you and it might sound a bit weird to some of you listening online but that happens does, online on radio it happens then you just ask them to confess say so can you confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus of Nazareth yes. is Lord and Savior yep. the great God of the world if they can do it then they're an angel of light a, an sure. angel of darkness will never confess that
2: absolutely any more yes this next one's a ripper
1: where did sin
2: Come from in a perfect world? That's similar to a question we had the other week, isn't it? Does God make mistakes? Was sin deliberate in Lucifer? God gave us free will, but how could it be used if there was no choice? So was sin deliberately created in Lucifer?
1: I'm going to answer this fast, but I'm going to do this Bible study next week. Okay, cool. Where did sin come from? Good. Okay, let's look at it. Where did sin come from in a perfect world? Came from Lucifer, came from Satan. He brought it from a rebellion in heaven to earth. And Adam and Eve joined that rebellion. Does God make mistakes? No, never. Was sin deliberate in Lucifer? Absolutely and totally. God never made a mistake in creating Lucifer. Lucifer made a mistake in rebelling. It wasn't God, it was Lucifer. You get that, hunty? I do. Yeah. Uh, God gave us free will, but how could it be used if there was no choice? Well, there is a choice. You Correct. choose, Lucifer chose. We choose. Adam and Eve chose. yeah Hunty chooses, I choose, we choose who we will serve. So was sin deliberately created in Lucifer? No, it was not created in Lucifer. Lucifer created it in himself. It came from within Lucifer himself. It had nothing to do with Jesus or God. You know what? Now, Jesus is God, by the way. Nothing to do with the Trinity. Um, next week I'm going to open up that study more. All right, well, I've made my decision. That
2: question, because it started... Next week's Bible study, I think we will award the Bible to that question.
1: And what's the name of the... That's Cheryl? Nope, it doesn't say.
2: Uh, yes. Oh, yes, it does. Cheryl. It is Cheryl. Cheryl, yes. It's Cheryl, Thank so you. Cheryl wins. Yes, I'll, I'll contact you after the program, Cheryl. Okay,
1: if one of those questions were yours and you think you should have won and you're not happy with Hansi... <laughs> send complaints to him. Well, you better send him a text message on this number, which is 0488... 880851. Did I do that right, he Hunty? You did, you did. Or info at aussiepastor.com. And you, com, and you complain, you complain to Hunty <laughs> and he'll have something to say. You complain, say, I thought my question deserved a Bible. What will you do then, Hunty? Um, um, maybe we'll give you a Bible. Maybe we'll send please. you a Bible as well. <laughs> <laughs> you can never go wrong uh, giving people Bibles. That's right. Beautiful song, this next one by... Very famous singer, James Rainwater, what a friend we have in
9: Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins. Griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer We trials and temptations Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged Take it to the Lord in prayer we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness, take it to the Lord in prayer. My friends despise, forsake me. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms, He'll take and chill me. Thou wilt find a soulless there.
1: It's James Rainwater, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know what, Hunty? Yep. When I'm doing my worship, morning and night, and we're going to talk about this more in the next few weeks too, I actually sometimes sing to the Lord. That's one song when I found it, I was in worship and I sang it. It's such a beautiful song and I felt really moved um, when I sang that song. I want to talk to you today just in another one of our short Bible studies, Hunty, about the Sabbath. We've already talked about the Sabbath, we showed that the Sabbath was perpetual, remember what that meant? Yes, yes. It goes from the beginning of the world right into eternity, so it has no, it has a beginning at creation but it has no end. Last week we looked at why the Sabbath was such a big deal. I feel like putting it on you, Hunty, and say why is it such a big deal? But would that be cruel on, he's shaking his head furiously. <laughs> so do you want me to answer that question? You ask me why is the Sabbath such a big deal and I'll answer it. All right, so what, why is the Sabbath important? Why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because the Sabbath is designed from sunset Friday to sunset Sabbath. Here's a short answer. So it's designed from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday mm-hmm. for you to spend that time with Jesus. And so when people say to me, well, what can you or can't you do on the Sabbath? I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Well, then the answer simple. If it draws you closer to Jesus, do it. If it's neutral or it doesn't, don't. Does that make sense, Hunty? Yep. So if, if you if you if you're out there and you're thinking, "Oh, I'm interested in this Sabbath thing," and by the way, I wonder how many of you actually went to church for the first time this last Sabbath. I know some did because they texted and emailed me, Hunty. Yes, which nice, is good news. Nice. Um, but the Sabbath is designed solely for you to spend with Christ. So today, so we've looked at how it was perpetual. We've looked at why it's such a big deal. Today, I want to look at some of the things you can do on the Sabbath to make it special. And to do that, I'm going to go straight to the scripture. Exodus chapter 20, this is the Ten Commandments, Hunty. Yep. Verses 8 through to 11, this is the Sabbath in the Decalogue or in God's law, right in the middle of it. God wrote this law out with his hands. So this is from God's mind. These words are God's, okay, Hunty? Yep. Could you read it for us? Sure.
2: Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested... That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy.
1: Okay. So what shouldn't you do on the Sabbath, hunty, according no to work. this? Yeah. It's not a work day. Oh, you know, I used to love that when I was a builder. Because yeah. i get up in the morning at 4.30 to go to work, hunty. So you, you ever done that? That's why so you didn't have daylight saving. <laughs> 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 it's because I had to be on, on the site because I'm working by myself at daylight and I work till dark. But on the Sabbath, I always stopped, and it was such a blessed relief to have one day off in seven, yep. no work, no work, no work. So what do you do on the Sabbath? I think we get a hint down there in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. What do you do on the Sabbath? Well, one of the things you can do is to get out in nature. Yep. Now, can I talk to our Adventist people for a moment? Of course. This will, if you're not an Adventist, this will give you a little insight, a little window into some of the bad habits we have, hunty. Where we go to church in the morning, adults, and we come home. And what do we do, hunty? We sleep. And what happens to the kids? <laughs> we have no idea because we're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> they go stir crazy. The Sabbath is for rest. It's not for sleep. I had a good dad and mum, hunty. Yep, we We would go to church in the morning. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But in the afternoon, you know what we'd do? Dad would take – did you do this with your kids? Get out into nature. Always. I can still remember going down to the beach, into the rock pools. We'd find octopus and fish and crabs and all manner of amazing things as we get out into nature on the Sabbath. So if you're wondering what can I do on the Sabbath, well, one of the things you can do is get out into nature. And it's wonderful. Good fun. Fantastic. Okay, Hunty, the yeah. next one. Luke okay, chapter 4, verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth. Now, who, who's this talking about? Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus. And, and the reason I put this in here is what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Well, um, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So what did Jesus do on Sabbath? Church. Actually, he was preaching. I might have said this before. Can you imagine listening to Jesus, read the scriptures, yeah, wow. and then expand those scriptures, preach? Wow. You know, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to hear Jesus preach, preach, preach on that first Sabbath. That'd be nice. You know, sometimes when I'm preaching, Hunty, I think I might have said this before. You look out on the, in the audience, the congregation, you see some glazed eyes. I had a, I had an elder. Now that's a guy, one of the leaders in the church. <laughs> These are in the old days when they'd come and sit up on the platform with you. Every Sabbath, he'd go to sleep on me. Yep. When I was preaching. I know you're talking about. Yeah. One, <laughs> one day I said to him, if you go to sleep ever again, I'm going to stop and wake you up in front of the congregation. It looked like he had toothpicks in his eyes. <laughs> but the thing is, when Jesus preaches and teaches, oh, wow, will not it be incredible? But if you want to know what to do on the Sabbath, well, get out of nature. But another thing you should do is go to church, and you'll find a Sabbath-keeping Adventist church. Wherever you are in Australia, I reckon wherever you are, Hunter, you'll find one somewhere within 30 minutes. For sure. So get out of nature. Yep. Preach. Fellowship, spend time with other Christians. Don't work. By the way, at New Hope, what do we do on a Sabbath morning? We start our worship services at 10, and if you live in northwest Sydney, you should come and check them out. We would love to see you. 357 Windsor Road Vineyard. (laughs) (laughs) Northwest Sydney. Thank you, (laughs) Hunter. No worries. (laughs) Um, What do we do on a Sabbath morning? We worship, praise music. So we get there, we sing a couple of songs. Yes, get into the Bible get into the Bible, we have a break, and then we sing some more songs. We yep. pray, we give, we do do offerings on our Sabbath. We do. Um, we we have a, always have a preaching service. We have, and after our worship service, we have two worship services, yep. one at 10 and one at 11.15. 11, 11.15. 11, what do we do then? Because this is lunch. very special. Fellowship lunch. In our church, we have fellowship lunch, and you don't have to bring a thing. Just bring yourself. That's it. And many Adventist churches around Australia are like that. And so you come to church on the Sabbath in the morning and then get out into nature, maybe with your Bible and the family in the afternoon, kaboom! You are just going to have the most wonderful day of rest And you'll go out of the Sabbath as the sun goes down on Saturday night and you'll just go, wow, I have never experienced anything like this in my life. It's 24 hours of uninterrupted time with Jesus Christ. Ah, there's nothing better. That's the end of the Bible study. But I want to play this song from Garamal and Paul Kelly. Garamal from Yothi Yindi. He died not so long ago. He's a Christian. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kelly, Dr. Garamal, one of our indigenous brothers, actually, he he passed away not so long ago, a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Amazing grace, dear Father in heaven, you gave us the Sabbath, 24 hours of rest. Lord, I pray for those listening, may you convict them with this truth, and may you draw them gently into the beauty of the Sabbath, time with you, is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolloman I'm the Aussie pastor, and I love you. But Jesus, Jesus of the Sabbath, he loves you so much more.
0: See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv.